What does it mean when someone has a gift? Have you ever thought about that? Because we use this word really loosely sometimes when we'll say, wow, you really have a gift to do that. Maybe you're really gifted at singing. Maybe you're really gifted with kids. Or maybe you're really gifted with the ability to solve problems or puzzles or whatever the case may be. And we'll say this as if that person has always been proficient at that, like they're just always an expert. They're like this child prodigy, and they just woke up one day, and all of a sudden they were just really, really good at something, and someone goes, wow, you're a natural. You really have a gift for that. But if you have ever had that said about you, you know that you just didn't wake up one day and you were just naturally gifted, naturally able to do it without any mistakes or any growth in the process. We understand that gifts are given, but they start really as a desire or they'll start as like a stirring or an interest maybe. I think that God does this in us where he gives us these gifts and he gives us the responsibility to develop these gifts. As early as I can remember, I remember always having a love for preaching the Word of God because when I was a little guy, I mean really little, my mom actually has video and audio of me preaching my own version of a sermon to G.I. Joe and my stuffed animals. I had them all lined up and I was screaming at the top of my lungs they needed to get right or get left because hell wasn't half full and Satan was bad and they needed to love Jesus and Jesus was God and I was just screaming at the top of my lungs as a little guy and as I look back on that I've always had an interest but yet people would say wow you have a gift to teach the Bible or you have a gift to communicate yeah well that started as an interest or as a stirring or as a drawing at a very very young age the gift that God has given you may start really small maybe it is something that you're stirred towards when you see injustice happening in the world or some need that just breaks your heart and you feel compelled to do something about that. Or maybe God has wired you a certain way to where certain things may come a little easier to you because you're interested in things that maybe other people aren't. I believe that that's where a lot of those giving of gifts kind of begin when we recognize the stirring, when we recognize the drawing, when we recognize that we uh, would, would like to do something and pursue something and God God begins to stir within us passion for those things. And I believe that oftentimes when that happens, God could very well be leading you on a pathway to help discover a passion for a gift that can be used for His glory. Because God gives us the gifts. He is the giver of all the gifts, but He doesn't make you use the gift. That's up to you and I to make the determination that we are going to use what God has given us or that we're going to pursue what He has stirred in us or what He's began to develop in us. Go over to Matthew chapter 25 and let's see where Jesus illustrates something similar in a parable that He gave in Matthew 25. Now looking at this text um, in context, we have to look at the whole of what's being said here. And Jesus is kind of in the rhythm of telling a series of different illustrative stories or parables, and they all have an interconnecting purpose. He's not just randomly telling stories with random purposes. He has an overall purpose to why he's telling these different types of parables to help people understand. And in Matthew 25, if you read before and after, Jesus is actually talking about living in light of eternity. He uses the words, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like. And he's trying to help those who are hearing understand what matters most to God. He's trying to help them understand these are the values that heaven has. These are the things that matter most to God. And these are the things that we should prioritize while we're living here on earth. We should live our lives here on earth like we are living for something greater. And that's the glory of God. And that's living in light of eternity. And he begins to tell them the kingdom of heaven is like this. And he begins to tell a story and another story. And then as he goes in that series of stories, he tells this story in Matthew 25 and verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey. What's it? He's talking about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, living in light of eternity, living on this earth 
with heaven in mind, right? So he's saying it, the kingdom of heaven, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. Stop right there. Now when he said that the master gave to each one talents, he's not talking about like the ability to rub your stomach and pat your head at the same time. He's not talking about walking and chewing gum. He's not talking about doing backflips or handstands or being able to play the piano really well. That's not what he's talking about. Talent was actually a measurement of money, and it was a large sum of money. Just to put it in perspective, uh, a talent was made up of 6,000 denarii. Now, a denarii, one denarii, was worth about a day's wage for an average blue-collar worker back in that day. So 6,000 days of work is what one talent represented. One guy got five talents. That's a whole lot of money. That's like 30,000 days of work. Like that's a lot of compensation that's just been given to this guy. Another got two talents and another received one. So he gave them money, not uh, just abilities, right? Verse 16, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I've made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you had scattered no seed, so I was afraid. Pay attention to that. I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what's yours. But his master answered him and said, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and I gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and to he and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Doesn't sound good, right, for the guy with the one talent. You see, God gives you the gift, but he doesn't make you use the gift. He gave each one of them the money that he knew they had the ability to handle. And so the master said, here, you get five, you get two, and you get one. They each were expected to do something with this, and they each knew that the master was going to come back having expected that what he had entrusted to them, what he had given them, that there was supposed to be something done with it. But because the one servant was afraid, his actions were to just hide it and make sure he didn't fail, make sure he didn't lose anything, make sure he didn't step out in faith, he didn't do anything, maybe a little risky. And the master came back and said, what do you mean you didn't do anything with it? You should have at least at a bare minimum just put it in the bank so it could have drawn some interest and I could have received what was my own back with at least some interest. You didn't do anything at all. You knew that I was trusting you to do that because you knew that I was going to give you this. I was trusting you. And you need to understand something about gifts that God gives. Any type of gift that he gives, 
It's there. It's in you. And when you receive that gift, it is your responsibility to be a steward of what God has given you while you're here on this earth. You're stewarding in light of eternity. You're stewarding in light of the gospel. You're stewarding what he's entrusted you with. And that may mean some sort of passion. That may mean some sort of gift that he's placed with on on the inside of you. That may mean some opportunity that he's given you. And it also means the gift you're even receiving right now of hearing the word of God read and spoken and preached. That means you're accountable and you're responsible for the messages that you hear. You have to understand when you come to a church gathering and we worship and you hear the word of God, those words that you're hearing, those are things that God is now holding you accountable to. You're being given a gift. This is not Christian entertainment. This is not just somewhere that you come and you hear some puff piece to make you feel better or something to just help you get through the week. It's not like you're shot in the arm. This is something being entrusted, invested in you. When you open the Word of God for yourself, you are being invested in. When you read some Christian book by a Christian author to encourage you or challenge you, that is you being invested in. You are being entrusted with that talent, with that gift, and God expects you to do something with the investment, with the equipping, not just sit on it or not just sit there and go, hmm, that was sure good. I sure enjoyed that today. Okay, so where are we eating? What are we going to go do? You know, what's on TV? No, it's an investment. You're expected to do something with what you've been given. And that also means the pursuit of of those interests, those drawings, those stirrings that God places on the inside of you. He wants you to pursue that. He wants you to develop that. When you are inspired to do something, he wants you to step out and he wants you to do what it is that he may be leading you to do. But what caused the wicked, slothful servant to be so lazy with what he had been given? It was fear. Remember, he said, I was afraid. He said, so I went and hid my master's money. I was afraid because I didn't know what was going to happen. He had this big cloud hanging over him that had the, the words, what if, in it. Well, what if it doesn't work out? Well, what if I fail? What if I mess up? What if I blow it? And he had all the excuses, and fear became the hurdle. Fear became the obstacle from him doing with what he had been given what he was supposed to do. He wasn't being a good steward. He wasn't being a good manager. He wasn't being a good investor. He wasn't using what he had been entrusted with well because fear had immobilized him. Here's what fear does. Fear makes much of me and you. That's what the enemy loves to get fear to do because when the enemy likes to whisper in our ears and get us to buy into all of the limitations that we have and all the what-ifs and all of the past mistakes we've made and all of the failures we've had before and all of the, the, the things that we may be known for in the past, all the labels that have been attached to us, all of the things that we've done that maybe even in the community we may be known for or in certain social circles, he loves to bring all that junk up and make much of us. Because if he can get you to focus on you, you will quickly bow out of ever attempting to do anything for God. Because you will realize, wow, I really am not that great. I can't do it. And to a certain degree, that's true. But at the same time, you're supposed to be dependent on God and trusting in Him and pursuing Him and developing what He's put on the inside of you. So there is a responsibility for you to pursue and grow and to identify with Christ and to learn who you are in Christ and allow those old things to be passed away, even the failures, even the mistakes, even the shortcomings, even your weaknesses, and say, God, I want to trust you and take a step and develop what you have put on the inside of me. I want to use what you've entrusted me with. I want to say yes to greater things. And when we do that, man, fear always wants to rise up. What are people going to think about you? I mean, they're going to think you're irresponsible. What are people going to think about you? I mean, they're, 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 going, to, they're going to mock. They're going to scoff at you or they're going to want to distance themselves if you really get serious about your faith and you start really pursuing the heart of God or you start sharing the gospel with other people or you uh, want to spend time and, you know, actually mentor and disciple other people. Who do you think you are? I mean, isn't that what pastors do? You're not even close to being someone like that. I mean, don't you know who you are? He begins to whisper all these things. What's he doing? Limitations, limitations, limitations. 
And he's keeping you away from doing the things that God has put in your heart to do and the things that you've been entrusted with. The opportunities that he's put in front of you because fear wants to diminish the gift and make much of you. But faith makes much of God. It actually minimizes me and it minimizes fear and it helps me to depend on and trust in God even through the mistakes I make, even through the shortcomings that I have, even through my weaknesses. Amen, somebody? God gave us another great example in the Bible of someone who dealt with fear that I think a lot of us can identify with, and that's Timothy. So you can flip over to 2 Timothy. Let's read a little bit about him, but before we do, I want to just catch you up on the scene and what's going on in 2 Timothy, because the Apostle Paul was Timothy's like spiritual mentor. It's like his spiritual father. This, this guy was, was really looked up to the Apostle Paul, and Timothy had been installed as an elder in Ephesus. And here, Timothy's a young guy, and he obviously is dealing with a lot of pressure, both internally, probably from the church members, probably from uh, some of those who are on the inside, some of the other elders even possibly, because Timothy was young. So to be called an elder and to be young, and people were probably criticizing his age. They were criticizing uh, maybe some of his methods or some of the things that he would say. And then he also had criticism from the outside and pressure from the outside because Christianity really wasn't popular and welcome in Ephesus by those who opposed Christ. And so he's facing outside pressure from the government. He's facing outside pressure from society. He's facing inside pressure from those that are supposed to be his brothers and sisters in Christ for a myriad of different reasons. And he's really just wanting to quit. You can kind of get that sense from Timothy based on the words that Paul has to write to try to strengthen him and encourage him. And so Paul Paul is writing this. Guess where Paul is writing this letter from? From prison. Paul is in prison and he writes this letter to Timothy. And here's what he says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, of faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure it dwells in you as well. For this reason... I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Paul tells Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear. And he reminds him, he says, Timothy, I, I, I love you. I, man, I'm mindful of your tears. I really want to see you, but I'm locked up right now. I, I would love to see you. My heart would be so filled with joy if I could come and actually visit you. But you know what? You have a sincere faith in you. I know you're struggling. I've heard about your tears. I'm reminded of your pain. I'm re reminded and, and, and of your struggle. And I've been praying for you because I love you. But guess what? There is something in you. And Paul was calling that out in Timothy. He said, it's actually something that was entrusted to you by the investment that your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice got the ball rolling in. They started investing in you. You were entrusted with this sincere faith that's been handed down to you. And you remember even the time where I laid my hands on you and, 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 and you were installed as an elder uh, in that church in Ephesus and, and, and there's a gift on the inside of you. You don't need to give in to fear. You need to stir up that gift. You need to fan that gift into flame. Isn't it interesting that the Apostle Paul puts the responsibility to rekindle the flame of his passion and of his gift right on Timothy? Because normally we would want somebody to like come do it for us. Do it for me, Jesus, right? Like, Pastor, can you pray for me? Can you come lay your hands on me? He's like, I'm not coming laying my hands on you again. I'm not coming. I'm in prison, buddy. <laughs> I can't do anything for you here except remind you that what you thought was gone, that what fear tried to diminish is still there. 
And you have a responsibility to not let fear win and develop and nurture and fan into flame the gift that God has already put in you. It's there. Your grandmother bears witness of that. Your mother bears witness of that because you were entrusted with something. In other words, he's reiterating the same idea that the callings and the giftings that God gives, they're, they're without repentance. This is not something that is, that, that, that is just going to cool down and just go away just because you want it to. No, he said it's in there. It's in there. There's, those embers are still burning, and you have a responsibility to fan that flame, to stir up that gift. That's called being a steward because stewardship of any gift that God gives is our responsibility. That's why Paul tells Timothy, it's your responsibility. Stewardship of any gift God gives you is your responsibility. So that means that drawing, that, that interest, that stirring, that passion, whatever it may be, that, that, that thing that's inspired you, perhaps, that has connected with you, that's resonated with you, that maybe you've put on the shelf that maybe fear has kind of squashed or maybe offense has hurt or maybe disappointment has hurt. Whatever that thing is that you're waiting on, maybe it, it, it's the what ifs. Well, what if I get hurt again? What if, I, what if it doesn't work out? Well, what if I fail? What if all those things that you keep putting off that God is stirring you to, leading you to, that every time you hear it or you hear a message like this, there are certain things that come to mind that you're like, oh yeah, that's right. And you're reminded of who God has called you to be and the things that he's put on the inside of you. Maybe even things that he's used you in before. And you've just kind of let those things go and you're like, or maybe you've made mistakes between then and now. Maybe you were really passionate, really red hot on fire for God and you were really pursuing him and doing some incredible things for the kingdom of God and living in light of eternity. And somewhere along the way, you started getting really lukewarm and and, and you need to be like in Revelation chapter 2 where Jesus addresses the church in Ephesus and he says you, you've lost your first love, but you need to repent of that and return to your first love. But so many of us, we make excuses and we give in to fear because we're afraid of the unknown, we're afraid of rejection, we're afraid of a repeat of the past, or we just feel unworthy, or we're just tired, and we're just kind of gassed on you know, our last wind, and we're just like, man, I... I just don't think I've got it in me. I just don't know if I can do this anymore. The responsibility to fan the flame, the responsibility to steward the gift that God gives is given to the one that received the gift. That's what we see is true in the parable of Jesus in Matthew 25, and that's also what we see reiterated to young Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1. There is a responsibility to the one who has the gift. So what is stewardship? Stewardship is using your gift appropriately. Stewardship is pursuing the development or the expansion of your gift. It's investing in it. It's caring and managing. It's refueling. It's rekindling the passion. That's our responsibility. Just like Scripture talks about David, the king of Israel, David had to encourage himself in the Lord. So whatever that takes, whatever that path is to encourage yourself in the Lord, to restore that, to, to rekindle that flame, to develop that. I've had to spend a lot of time throughout the years that I've been preaching the Word of God, developing and refining my teaching gift that God has given me. It's not like I woke up one day and all of a sudden could teach the Bible. It's not like one day I woke up and all of a sudden the words that I said started making sense because I've grown a little bit from that recording my mom made when I was three or four years old, just a little bit. If you went back and you listened to it, you'd be like, yeah, he's made some progress over the years. And even I remember the first time that I had the opportunity to preach in front of a church. It was the church that I attended growing up. I was 15 years old, and this was back when, you know, if you've been around church, you know, for a long time, you may have remembered having church, you know, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Tuesday night prayer meetings. That's how I grew up, and I grew up as a church kid, and it was a Wednesday night service, and my pastor let me preach. I was so excited. I went out, got a new suit, had a three-piece suit on, tie. I had my hair done right. Yes, 
there was hair there. I was 15. Um, and, and man, I, I, I was preaching my heart out, and I told them everything I knew, and it didn't take long. But, you know, I felt good about it. I was excited about the opportunity to get to preach the Bible, and I, I just loved the fact that I was able to do that. And as I had more opportunities, I began to grow. I began to seek feedback from other people, and I wanted to know how to grow. And so I began to seek feedback from people who were further down the road with me in their gift to teach the Bible. Some of those people I met and were able to mentor me personally. Some of those people I will never meet, and I read a book about something that they grew in and how they sharpened that gift. Other people have been direct influences. My wife has probably been the biggest single influence in helping me develop my teaching gift because she'll be really, really honest with me. I'll get in the car feeling good about everything, going, wow, man, that was a great service. Well, you know, that story you told, yeah, I don't know, that didn't really make a lot of sense. And that's not really how it went either. And then she'll begin to, you know, tell me I need to be a little bit more diligent to make sure I present those things a little bit more accurately. And so she's helped me grow tremendously in that. There have been other voices in my life where uh, people have spoken into me. So it's not like one day I just woke up and let me tell you, I'm not done. I still want to grow in that. I, I'm actively actually involved in some coaching with a group that's actually helping me to continue to grow in my ability to teach the Word of God and how to put sermons together and study and prepare and how to deliver. I'm still doing that. I'm actively in a group that's doing that. Every Monday morning, uh, one of the first things that our staff does is we kind of walk through the weekend service and what went right and what do we need to grow in. And then they talk about my message and they help give me their perspective. And I take that stuff to heart. And I just don't want to go there and get a bunch of pats on the back. I want to learn. I want to grow. So every one of us... We look at the person using their gift and we go, wow, that person's really good at that. And the reason we say that is because more times than not, they're doing something we aren't really good at or we haven't tried to develop or, or aren't gifted in, right? I mean, most of the time, that's kind of what we're saying. Wow, that person's really good at X, you know, and we'll just fill in the blank. We'll just say whatever they're good at. And it's often because it's something that we're just, we're not good at. Wow, you know, Jake's really good at playing the drums. Or, wow, Gino's really good at, at playing the piano. Or, 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 or wow, you know, uh, Andrea sings really beautifully. And we go, wow, isn't that great? And maybe you're impressed by that because it's something that you just don't have that natural ability to do or you haven't developed that to that level. And it's just something we all do. But what you don't see is all the hours that went into growing in that gift. Pastor Gino didn't wake up one day and he just, you know, he, he was, you know, just kind of toddled over, you know, as a little baby, you know, in his diapers and he hits the piano and just started going nuts on it. And his parents are like, wow, he has a gift. This boy is gifted. At least I don't think that's how it went. I don't know. Maybe he can confirm that, uh, you know, that's true. Uh, he had to work at it. He had to develop it just like anything. You have to say yes somewhere along the way. You don't see the work that goes in behind the scenes. You don't see the hours of study and preparation and prayer and research. You don't see that. You, you get to hear the, the finished product. And then even after that, growing. So whatever God's put in you, don't be intimidated by someone else's gift. Amen, somebody? Don't let that be another excuse for why you aren't doing what God has put in your heart to do because you can't do it like someone else can do it. Guess what? God didn't call you to be them, and maybe they've been working on things a lot longer than you. you got to start where you're at, and you got to start saying yes to what God is drawing you to, what He's stirring you to, what, he's, what, what, what interests you, what passions He's putting in you. That's part of stewardship. And anyone that you see that maybe you go, wow, that person is gifted, and you may compliment them, understand there are hours and years behind that. Don't be intimidated by another person's gift. That's not the purpose of the gift, amen? That is just another way that the enemy will use another person's gift and get you to be afraid because you've compared yourself to them and now fear is diminishing your gift that God is wanting to stir and develop in you. It's our job to pursue it. It's our job to steward it. It's our job to make sure that we're fanning it into flame and we're stirring up that gift because fear is a thief the Bible says in John 10 and 10 that fear wants to steal, kill, and destroy what God wants to do through you. The thief comes to steal, comes to kill, comes to destroy, and that's what fear wants to do. Fear wants to diminish the gift. Fear wants to make much of you, and it wants to minimize God, but faith will make much of God and actually diminish you and I. Actually, if anything needs to be lessened, it's us, amen? 
And here's the bottom line, and I, I want you to help me share this, preach this on social media, use the hashtag WOG bottom line, that everything God wants to do through you is on the other side of fear. Amen, somebody? Everything God wants to do through you is on the other side of fear. I, I truly believe that because fear is the opposite of faith and fear is trying to be that hurdle. It's trying to be that, that wall between you and what God is putting in your heart to do. And it's something that we have to understand is not from God. That's why Paul says, Tim, listen, this spirit of fear, that's not from God. He didn't give you that. God's not going to use fear. He's not making you afraid. That doesn't come from Him. God doesn't give fear, but God does give these other things. He wants to give you uh, this sound mind. He, he wants to make sure that you're walking in peace. He wants to make sure that you're trusting in Him. He wants to make sure that you're trusting in His power, not yours. Your power is nothing. He said trust in His. His power is love. And that, that sound, peaceful, calm mind, that's what God wants you to have. That's how He wants to lead. That's what He wants you to depend on. One of the core values at Word of Grace that we have here is that we want to uh, grow in deepening our prayer life. We want to depend on God more. We want to prioritize prayer because when we pray, we're deepening our dependence on God. We need to deepen that dependence on God through being people of prayer, by being people who are trusting in Him, not people who are making much of ourselves because we'll run into that wall of fear really, really quick. So it's our job to fan the flame of the gift that's in us. It's our job to stir up the gift that God has given us. Remember 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7, Paul says, Timothy, fan into flame that gift of God. Now, this, this phrase, fan into flame, is actually one Greek word there. It's a compound word. And in Greek, it's one word, and the word is anazopiro. And it's a three-part word, ana, meaning again, the word zo or zoe, meaning life. And then the word pireo, meaning fire. And so in the original transcript, it just said, for this reason, I remind you to anazopiro, one compound word, again, bring to life, make the fire alive again. I remind you, Timothy, to anazopiro, to, to rekindle this, to stir up the gift, to make that fire alive. And the enemy may have used disappointment to hinder your gift. But it is your responsibility to not let fear from keeping you to discover and develop or use your gift. The stewardship is your responsibility. Remember, church, that everything God wants to do through you is on the other side of fear. And so here's what we need to do. We need to remind ourselves of who we are in Christ today. We need to remind ourselves that we are no longer slaves to fear that we are no longer in bondage to fear, as Romans chapter 5 says. We have not received this spirit that where we're in bondage as slaves to fear, but we've instead received a spirit of adoption where we cry out, Abba, Father, that's the gospel. It's not something that happened because of us. Rather, it's something that happened in spite of us. It's not that we're so great that God decided to do this. No, it's because His glory is to be known, and it's because we are to be instruments, vessels of His glory, and He puts gifts in us. He's the one who saves us. He's the one who redeems us. He's the one who makes all things new. And then He puts His Spirit on the inside of us, and the Holy Spirit gives us gifts, and we need to discover those gifts and grow in those gifts and deepen our dependence on God so we can use those gifts because we've received the spirit of adoption. And I know that we go through life and we get disappointed, we get hurt, but you're no longer a slave to fear. You are free to be full of passion. You are free to be full of giftedness. And you are free to be full of the spirit of God working in you and through you for the glory of God. And I think that when it comes to us fanning into flame the gift of God that's on the inside of us, I think that that fanning 
can happen in a number of ways. The, the Bible refers to this idea of being filled with the Spirit. In Ephesians, Paul says that don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And he talks about ways to be filled with the Spirit, to have this continual filling. It's not just this one-time thing. It's a continual filling. And he says, why don't you sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart and, and being filled with the Spirit. So I think one of the ways that we can remind ourselves of who we are in Christ and fan the flame of the gift of God on the inside of us is that we can sing songs and make melody in our heart. And another way is to sit at the feet of Jesus and delight in the Word of God to where we're actually investing our heart and our time and our energy into the Word of God. And it's kind of renewing us. It's stirring us. It's helping us to mount up uh, like, like, like we're getting stronger, like on His wings, like an eagle. And we're able to just trust in that strength and we're able to depend on Him because we're being reminded reminded of the strength of the Word of God. We have to be in the Scripture. We have to sit at the feet of Jesus. We have to deepen our dependence through prayer. And so I think that both through prayer and I think that through singing songs to God, making melody in our heart, we're being filled with the Spirit of God. It's this continual filling it's this remind, reminding me that I'm not alone. It's this reminding me that this isn't dependent upon me and how great I am. And it's me saying yes to greater things when he puts opportunities in front of me. So what has fear been holding you back from? What has fear been keeping you from saying yes to? What thing do you need healing from? What thing do you need to confess to God today? that's been a roadblock, that's been a stumbling block, that's kept you from saying yes to greater things because everything God wants to do in you and through you, I believe, is on the other side of fear. All the things that you can look at and see that uh, all the what-ifs, all the, all the limitations, all the things people might say or what they might think, it's on the other side. And can I tell you that as I've been in full-time ministry now for 20 years. This is my 20th year. Back in May, I kind of crossed that line of 20 years where people have been calling me Pastor Derek. The first seven of that was in youth ministry. I was a youth pastor. And, you know, one of the things that I used to pride myself in when I was a youth pastor is I would always tell people I was never going to be a senior pastor of a church. I remember my father-in-law, before I got his permission to ask his daughter to, to marry her, he looked at me and he said, I think it's great that you're a youth pastor. I was 19 years old. Actually, I was 18 when I, when I had this conversation with him. And he said, uh, he said, it's great you're a youth pastor, but what are you going to do after youth ministry? And I was like, what do you mean? Like, I want to do youth ministry forever. I'm going to be like this really cool old guy youth pastor. Like that was my vision for my life. That was about as far as my vision went. I'm going to preach the Bible. I'm going to hang out with teenagers and we're going to play all kinds of silly games and build relationships and have fun, and I'm going to help influence and impact the next generation, like, forever. What? He's like, well, you never would want to be a senior pastor? Oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. I'm never. <laughs> Tell God you're never going to do something, by the way. I'm never going to be a senior pastor of a church. And then years go by, and actually my vision for my life at that time was I thought that I was going to be this like youth speaker person that like maybe went to different youth camps or youth events and you know I would write materials for youth pastors after I had been doing this for 40 years and I would be able to like mentor new youth ministers and like kind of invest in the next generation of youth ministers and that was my vision for my life and that's what I thought I was going to be spending the rest of my life doing but God had a different plan God had a different plan and, and I can look back now after being a senior pastor for 13 years and I can look back in the rearview mirror and I can see where this desire that I said yes to and this opportunity that I said yes to, even this hardship that I went through and this really difficult struggle that I went through and all these things, I can see how these dots connect. I can look back in the rearview mirror and I can see that. And I can go, wow, God, you're awesome. 
You led and guided this whole thing. So don't get discouraged if the thing that God's putting in your heart turns out to go a different way than what you thought it would go. Because maybe your idea is not exactly what God had in mind, but it's the first step to get you on the pathway that he wants you to get on. Because you don't know who you're going to meet. You don't know what door's going to be open. You don't know how God isn't going to mature and develop and, and move your heart and tweak it this way and that way. Because I thought I was going to be doing youth ministry right now. I thought I was going to be youth pastor, youth evangelist. And here I am doing the very thing I said I'd never do because God began to change my desires. But if I wouldn't have said yes to that season, if I wouldn't have said yes during that time, and I would have said, nope, God, I'm going to do this forever, and I would have dug my heels, and I would have missed it. I wouldn't have stewarded the gift well. You see, it's along the journey. I see how even God used music in my life to get me here. And I see how God used this for a season and how God used this area for a season and even owning a business and how God used that for a season in my life. And I look back in the rearview mirror and I go, God, you've been so good. You've been so faithful. And now that I'm here doing what I'm doing, I don't just only trust him with what I can see in the rearview mirror, but I need to trust him with today. And I need to trust him for what lies ahead. Amen? So that may mean that what God's putting in your heart may not be the exact thing that's going to work out the exact way that you think it will right now. Because if we do that, we're putting limitations on God, and God doesn't play within our sandbox. It's not like we say, God, you're going to do this, this way, this time, and God's like, <laughs> really? <laughs> I think that's actually what God does. <laughs> like, I think he actually does that. Like, really? You think you're so hot? You think that's what's going to happen? You think that's what you're going to do? And that's not the way it goes. It's really not. It's not the way it works out. The way that these things work out is we have to say yes to what God's put in front of us and trust him with that step until we see the next step. And then we say yes and we take that step. And then we say yes and take that step. And we have to submit and go, God, not my will but your will. And he begins to sharpen and develop the gifts as we're stewarding well, as we're pursuing, as we're taking the step. And next thing you know, you can look back in the rearview mirror and go, wow, God, you're really smart. And he's like, I know, right? It's almost like you had a plan. It's almost like the things that were that you went through and the people you met and the doors that were opened and the things that you said yes to, it looked a lot different than the way you thought it was. Maybe the, maybe the direction changed here and there and maybe you ended up being a pastor in Wisconsin when you'd never even been to Wisconsin nine years ago. <laughs> maybe God just moved things around and maybe God did some things different. And God had a reason and God had a plan. And I believe that today, whether you're sitting here in the room, whether you're out in the commons or whether you're watching online live or if maybe you're catching this after it's already gone into a replay, I believe that the reason you're sitting here and the reason you're hearing this message now is because this is one of those moments. I believe this is one of those divine moments for, for somebody in this place. And maybe it's you. Because maybe you've been wrestling with what does God have for me. Maybe you've been wrestling with how God's made you or what your gifts are or what your desires are or what the next step is. And maybe you've been wrestling with that. Maybe today is going to be a defining moment for you where you let go of some ideas that you've been trying to squeeze and put God in. And you need to let go and you need to begin to trust God right where you're at. And you need to begin to say yes to greater things. Maybe today is a defining moment for some of you because today is a day where you finally let go of the hurt and the pain and the disappointment, maybe even your failures. Maybe it's time to walk away from the opinions of other people and the fear of rejection. Maybe it's time for you to begin to trust again. Maybe it's time for you to step out again. And I know you were burnt out. I know you worked really hard. I know you may have overwhelmed and overloaded yourself. I get that. But that doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're, you're not gifted anymore. No, it's time to stir up the gift. It's time to make the fire alive again. So what thing do you need healing from? Because if everything God wants to do in you and through you is on the other side of fear, what is fear holding you back from saying yes to? It may not be the final thing, but it may be part of the puzzle. It may be part of the journey. And maybe today is that day where you need to stir up the gift. So what I want us to do is I want us to take a few moments and I want us to stir that gift up together. 
And let's do this in a way that Scripture describes for us to do this, where he talks about being filled with the Spirit. Let's, I want us to sing a song together. And maybe you want to sing, maybe you don't. Maybe you want to pray. That's fine too. Maybe you need to get down on your knees and pray. Maybe you need to make an altar where you're sitting. If you're at home, you need to you know, just make an altar right there on the couch. Maybe some of you here in the building, you, you feel the need to come forward and make an altar here, like actually uh, here at, at the stage. That's fine. Or at your seat. Or maybe you want to stand. Or maybe you just need to do business with God and pray. Maybe you need to worship. Maybe, you need, maybe that's how you're going to stir that up today. But whatever you need to do, I want us to do it together. At home, in the commons area, here in the main auditorium, I want us to do this together. Because I think it would be a beautiful thing that would encourage the body of Christ if we can, corporately together, fan into flame the gift that's on the inside of us. To stir up the gift. To make much of God in these next few moments together, corporately. And let's minimize our own selfishness. Because we are free. That fear that's been in the way, the fear of rejection, that fear of pain, that fear of hurt, you are not a slave to that anymore. You are a child of God. Amen.
Jesus. Amen. 